We would be honored if you would join. Welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have one of my favorite guests that has come on multiple times throughout the years, author R. A. Salvatore, to talk about his new books this year, uh, which is both the Song of the Risen God, A Tale of the Coven, which is part of his Corona series. It's a continuation um, of the stories told in the world that the Demon Wars saga was uh, written in. And, of course, Relentless, which is another Dark Elf uh, story that kind of... It's got Dritz, it's got Jarlaxle, it's got Zach Nefane, it's the final book in that trilogy. And... Uh, I'm super excited. It's always great to to have Ari Salvatore back on the show to talk about uh, his books, gaming, and get his unique insight on the world and just everything in general. Writing, gaming, culture, the dynamics of uh, characters, and so on and so forth. So uh, without further ado, I want to jump into this interview and get going so that we can just uh, let you hear the amazing words and, and the gift um, that Arya Salvatore always brings in, in his interviews. And hopefully you, you will enjoy this interview as much as I did. So, all right. Well, I mean, you've got two big books that have come out this year. Uh, yeah. yeah, finish up a couple series. Yeah, you wrapped up both the Dritch trilogy and the Coven trilogy here. So let's talk about, I mean, we can talk about the Coven series because that came out first. Okay. Uh, it came out last January. And you've kind of wrapped this up. I mean, where what happens in this third book without giving it too much detail? How are you tying all the threads from the first two books together to come to this conclusion? Uh, I'm actually tying the threads together from the first two books in the first seven Demon Wars books I wrote. Oh, so because, it's but, all of them together. Yeah, well, because they there's a whole other group of people in okay. the West. Yeah. And one of the things that happened in the first book actually was like a, an omen for them that it was time to take back their 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 kingdom from sea to sea. And so the third book gets very huge in terms of the scope of the war. Yeah. And um, a lot of twists and turns, especially near the ending. And where I left it made sense, but uh, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. Okay. So is, is there going to be more books possibly coming out in, in the world of Corona? Or do you possibly. feel like... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I got... Um, you know, I, I've got a lot of grandkids now, and I, I'm not quite sure what I want to do right now. Okay. On on any of it. Yeah. But you're kind of in a unique place, I guess, in your, in your career now, because you, you have a lot of books behind you, and you're wrapping up these two series. Like you said, you have grandkids. It's like, is it time to hang up the hat, or is it just going to slow things down to write when you want to? Uh, or something in between. Okay. Yeah, I've been doing two books a year for a long time. Yeah. Um, maybe I go to one book a year. Maybe I go to three books every two years. Maybe I just say that's it. I don't know yet. 
You don't know yet. Um, kind of enjoying not being on a deadline. Yeah. I took I took the first four months of this year off. Did nothing. Enjoyed the heck out of it. Wow. How would that be? Just to take four four months off and just enjoy. Well, you know, I had I haven't really had a vacation in years and yeah. years and years. Because when you're writing and you're on the deadline, it's always in your head. You can't get away from it. You can try, yeah. but you'll never get away from it. And I just got tired of like going to watch my daughter ride her horse when she was little. And now my grandkids are coming up on the ages where they're going to be involved in things. And I'm at a baseball game or a hockey game or watching somebody ride the horse. And I'm not really paying attention because my brain is going to the books and or, or like between periods at the hockey game, instead of talking about the game, I'm up typing because yeah. I have a deadline. Um, didn't, you know, it, it was all encompassing for a long time. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I got a feeling I know what I'm going to do, but nothing to announce yet. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings up a good point uh, as far as writing. You know, you can't really shut that portion off, it seems like. You know, once you begin yeah. and open those doors, it just keeps moving and coming out. Yeah. And it's a great feeling most of the time, but you know maybe I write books and after I'm done the books I sell them instead of writing uh, signing a contract says I have to write books. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that'll be exciting. So, where did the inspiration for your character Aolin come from? Because you seem to have some inf- inspiration for each character. Yeah, well, I, um, I don't know if I've said this before, but um, she came from. A whole bunch of things. Mostly, I really love the the Tudors mm-hmm. series. Yeah. And Natalie Dormer's portrayal of Anne Boleyn was amazing. And I'm a big Anne Boleyn fan. always have been. She's one of my favorite people in history. Because she learned how to work within the system to, to manipulate it for her yeah. own good. And, I, and for the good of a lot of people, actually. Um, so I really like that. And then I have a friend who, who is very much like Alan. And and, I, and then my wife is very much like Alan, and my daughter is very much like Alan. And I just, I just, it's almost a retelling. The Coven, the first book, is almost a retelling of Homeland. Yeah. But with a with a female protagonist who just says enough, and instead of walking away, she's determined to change it. But it's that same. You have to have the courage. I mean, we're seeing this right now, and more than we've ever seen in my lifetime. Well, maybe not. Maybe in the 60s, but yeah, this might be different. Where you can look back, if you look back honestly at your traditions, at, at everything else, and you see flaws, do you have the courage to change them? It's two different things, being able to see them yeah. and having the guts to change them. So I think that's always relevant to write about because that's how you make things better. Yeah. You see, whether it's personal where you look back and say, geez, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done this a different way, or, you know, I really hurt that person when I did that, and I didn't mean to, or whatever it might be. If you look back at something like that and just go, yeah, whatever, they'll get over it, um, I don't think that makes you a better person. And to me, this whole journey that we're on is just is just a, a learning curve. It's just a, It's just a, the goal is to be way better when you leave than you were when you first realized you were here. Yeah, that's mine anyway. So from my perspective, these kind of books appeal to me. They appeal to a lot of people, obviously. And Alan was an absolute pleasure to write. No, I I, I do like the comparison you put there with with Dritz, where, you know, in Homeland, he makes the decision to leave. 
but she chooses to stay and and fight the system and kind of uh, you know is it more difficult to walk away from something you know is comfortable or to to say no i i'm gonna fight this i'm gonna stand up against whatever this obstacle is i i think it depends on the situation i mean Dritz was in a pretty hopeless situation if yeah he's gonna stay and fight you know there are twenty thousand drow and the priestesses had complete control with loath um alan was in the small tribe but you know to me it's i guess it's risk versus reward in mm-hmm. the real world um you don't want to fight about everything but at the same time if it's if it's a change that you really need to make you need to fight for it yeah at least that's how i look at it yeah no i i agree you know uh, it is better when you you leave with something that, you know your situation or the world a little bit better place than when you entered and came in to to being and um no the that's one thing I've always found enjoyable about the stories you've written. Somewhere in there, there's always a gem I've always found where it's always been like, wow, this really means something and I can add that to my life. Or, um, well, I mean, I, if you don't have a purpose for writing a book other than just telling a story mm-hmm. that's like fun or whatever and they, they, you know, they killed the dragon and got the gold, wait, yay, um, I don't see the point. Yeah, and, you know, I, I mean, I, all the time I hear people who say, "Oh, that you know, oh, your book's a popcorn. I love it. It's just straight adventure." And I just, I'm glad they're enjoying it. I'm glad they're having fun. Their life is a little better. They're feeling like they get their money's worth. But I hear very many more letters from people who looked a little deeper, yeah, and came away with a little different experience than that. Yeah, and it gave them the courage to do something, whether it's fight a disease or you know, be who they really are mm-hmm. or whatever. So to me, if you, if you can accomplish that and you can, you can make a book that's just enjoyable. Great. Yeah. Um, if you can make a book that's just enjoyable and for people who want to look more deeply, they will find things that will maybe make them nod their head and ask themselves some questions. Then I think you've done something even stronger. Yeah. No, I, I agree. do that. Yeah. Especially uh, like it, the Dritz monologues. You man, there's so many times, just random times in my life that I, I've read, reread through them and hit that. And I'm like, wow, that really means something. Uh, you know, when I went through my divorce several years ago, um, before getting remarried, uh, yeah, the, there was several times just some of those monologues were just like, wow, I can get through this. You know, as crappy as things are right now, you know, I can get through this. And it, that was inspirational. Well, I mean, I've, I've treated writing as my own journey. Yeah. And it's how I make sense of the world. So I ask my characters the question I, questions I ask myself, and I beat them up until they tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't see – there has to be more to it because it's a lot of pain. It's a lot of sacrifice. I'm not saying, oh, poor, poor me. I wouldn't do any – you know, this is the second best career I could have had between – behind pitching at Fenway. Um, so I'm not saying poor, poor me at all. But, you know, it, you are, you're putting yourself out there. You're getting beat up all the time on, like, social media or from reviewers or whatever, you know, you, and you've you've got to deal with it. You're also being led into people's lives. Um, sometimes they're in a bad place. 
and you have to wear that. Um, I had a dear friend in Canada who passed away after a decade-long battle with breast cancer. And she's somebody that I met at a convention and just a daughter. And my son a daughter and my wife a daughter. And, um, you know, we thought she was better and then she's gone. And, and it's someone I only met in person once. Mm. But she became a dear friend via the Internet, via emails yeah. and all the message boards and all the rest of it. And But you got to wear that. You know, when when people are letting in, you into their lives with letters or whatever, you have to wear that. And yeah. so, with a, you know, you can set yourself up for some pretty low lows. It's a tough gig. I mean, it's it's emotionally draining. It's always on your mind. It's there's a reason why most writers are introverts, and because you almost have to be. Um. So I don't know. I still wouldn't change it for anything but pitching at Fenway because I made it my personal journey. <clears throat> nice. So how do you, I mean, that's kind of a, another question there. How do you, how do you balance the lows of like bad reviews and, you know, the comments you get from fans that are just, they love it or they had those low moments where the book got them through those. I mean, it's really funny on? because if you have a book that's got a thousand reviews and it's running at four and a half stars, Mm -hmm. You know, the one-star reviews, if you read them, would still knock you off your feet. Yeah. A lot of people. For me, a lot changed for me. First of all, there was no internet when I started. Yeah. And people are going to take the time to write you a letter with their address on it and their real name on it. They're generally going to be more polite. Okay. So if I got 5,000 letters in those first seven, eight years, whatever it was, you know, 4,990 were super positive. Um, as far as the reviews go, with the reviewers, you know every time you put a book out there, they might love it, they might hate it. Some, one might, like, Child of a Mad God, one, one reviewer hated it. Like, 10 others gave it starred reviews. Yeah. So, you know, I'm talking actual professional reviewers. So you, you, you learn to just kind of say, eh, whatever. Unless everybody is starting to show you something really wrong with your books, you just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I could give a ton of books one-star reviews. Yeah. Um, I never would, because what do I accomplish by insulting the people who love the book and making the author feel bad? Yeah. But um, so for me, what it really what it really changed for me was in 1999, in October, my brother got was passing away. It was in the last couple of weeks of his life. We had to. We had to um, cancel the tour for Vector Prime. Yeah. Because I wouldn't leave my brother's side in those last days. And I, just, I was just in no condition to go out on the road anyway at that point. And so it got really bad. I mean, it got really bad. And then I found myself actually seeking out bad reviews. Because then I would have a reason to be bad, not the real reason I was feeling bad. Yeah. I was losing my best friend or lost my best friend. And I was pretty down in the dumps and was wondering if I was just going to say the hell with it. I don't want to do this anymore after the Chewy book came out because people hated me. Yeah. You know? And then we got to, um, I went to a Christmas party, uh, New Year's Eve party that year. 
And the friend of mine who was a local judge uh, was there. And he's like, what the hell's the matter with you? And I said, you know, I just, I'm having a hard time with it. And he's like, and he laughed and he goes, I'm a lawyer. You want to change people who hate us? And then he <laughs> said, and by the way, I mean, haven't you figured it out yet that, that about a third of the reason they pay you the money they pay you is because you give people something to bitch about. Because mm. it makes people happy to bitch about things. And when, as soon as I started looking at it that way, my armor grew a little thicker. Yeah. And then I just stopped reading reviews altogether unless a publisher sent me one. Or every now and then I might go in and see. You know, I wait like a year or two and I might go to like Homeland or the Crystal Shard and look at the newest reviews just to see how it's going with the because I'm picking up readers every year on those books. Yeah. Just to see how the newer kids who have a very different way of looking at the world than I did or my readers did are connecting to the books. Yeah. And that's been really satisfying, actually. But, um, yeah, I, I that's how I do it. I, and the bad reviews, they are what they are. I, I usually laugh more than anything else nice. at this point. So how is that, that, that feeling to know that, I mean, where are we at now? Uh, several decades now since uh, Crystal Shark came out. I wrote I wrote Dritz almost to the today's the eleventh. Yes, yeah. thirty three years ago today. Wow, is when I created Dritz on the phone with my editor at TSR. Okay, so thirty three years ago, you you wrote the book. It's now it's out there. It's been out there for that long. And now you have new readers that are picking up, and they're like, they're loving this. They're devouring it. I mean, how does that feel after three decades? It's a lot of fun. I mean, I go my my book signings look like Fleetwood Mac concerts. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a grandfather with his son and their granddaughter, and they're all reading the book together. Yeah. A lot of the signings when we do the e signings here through my websites um, will be to the so and so family, as opposed to just to a person. Yeah. And I, I meet people all the time who are I get I get emails all the time from people who like they just lost their father or mother or whatever. And one of the things they got was the Dritz books from them. And uh, that was their connection in yeah. for years. And it's um, it's it's a little heartwarming more than anything else. The reaction has been it's the reaction to the to the. So my books is actually better now than it was when I started. I think it's yeah. Weird. Okay, well, I mean, it, it is. It's it's this fantastic thing. Uh, you know, this character was out there 33 years ago. He's still surviving, growing strong. Your fan base is continuing to get bigger. Um, you know, the the Corona books. Um, man, I unfortunate have, name now, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've loved this series. Um, that picture behind me takes place during a plague. Yeah, yeah. I remember that book. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, yes. Corona it takes place yeah, during yeah. a plague. Yeah. It, it is kind of bad that the you know, COVID has been named the coronavirus, and it's the world of corona. And, you know, there was a plague there, and you, we don't have the hand of Avalyn to kiss to – to be healed but uh, it's my favorite book yeah that, that's a fantastic cover i love that cover um I, yeah the series has been great i've enjoyed it uh it, just as much as the dritz books um uh, probably more because there's always this really interesting conflict which i feel like is a little bit more visible between light and darkness you know where yeah. in the dritz it kind of blurs into grays but yeah. 
it's um it's a bigger world there's more room for being able to tell the perspectives of everybody involved all the yeah. time it's not a world of of like monsters and people it's yeah. a world of people and other people more much more yeah so yeah yeah i i, I mean it, i think that's i think those books are a lot of my best work and mm. I, I was happy um one of the big magazines just did a retrospective on on demon wars and they they all 14 books it's been 14 books now there was wow. seven in the original series, four in the Highwayman series, the Saga of the First King, yeah. and three in the Coven. And they did a retrospective on the whole thing, and they said it's like the most underrated fantasy series out there and all these other really nice things. And the thing is, when you're a writer and you hit it with something, and I did with Drift, it's like being in a band that pumps out bestsellers, you know, or pumps out gold records. Yeah, that everybody loves, and then trying to get into a different band. Yeah, and I'm not the only one that'll tell you that. I mean, Terry Brooks, uh, trying to get away from Shannara for 20 years, <laughs> yeah. can't escape. Um, you know, Robert Jordan was supposed to be writing what four or five books for Wheel of Time. He wrote it till he died. Yeah, because you know the publishers know too that it's hard to get readers to read a different series. That's not your main series. So it's a blessing and a curse, but mostly it's a blessing because having the Dritz books out there just continually selling. I mean, just not slowing down at all. Uh, you know, an audio and an ebook and then back, just backlist books. And now with the new ones coming out, gives me the freedom to do what I want to do, whether it's write more books or retire, right? Yeah. So that's a heck of a blessing. And, and, and I don't diminish the Dritz books by saying I love Demon Wars because – that character and, and some of the other characters in that series is connected with people on such an emotional level that it's hard to replicate that. Yeah. So, you know, I'll take it where I can get it. And right now it's, you know, it's been a hell of a ride. Again, no complaints from me. Yeah. Well, and with the Demon Wars, you get, you've got, you've been able to create the sandbox where with, you know, Drake, yeah, the sandbox was, was already there and you had to jump in. That was fun. That was probably... Being able to put that magic system together was so much fun. And then we did the RPG game that we did the Kickstarter for. Yep. Right. I'm actually adapting that now. We're turning it into a Roll20 game, and we're adding a bunch of classes and stuff. And we'll nice. see if we do anything with it. I'm not sure yet. But, uh, you know, we played the game for six years. Just went back to D&D &D 5e earlier this year and uh, having a good time with it. Yeah. Absolutely having a good time with it. But... Um, you know, we, we go back and forth now between Demon Wars and D&D. &D. So where did you come up with the idea for, I don't think I've ever asked you, but where did you come up with the idea for the magic system with the gemstones? Because that's really unique. I don't, no one's ever used it. I mean, it. even in our day, you have so many people that tell you crystals have power, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not anything I created whole cloth. And it's funny, but if when I looked at the different, I went I went to the, when I when I came up with the idea, first of all, that means that, you are limited by what you have for gemstones. Yeah. So it makes it easier for me to make sure a character doesn't become too powerful. Correct. In the books and in the game, it gives the DM the chance to make sure that the magic is what he wants it to be. Mm -hmm. She wants it to be. Um, 
so when I came up with that idea to, that I would actually base it, and I also want something that could be contained. Like the Abelican Church has the gemstones. Yeah. They think they have all the sources of God power in the world. That's what makes them special. They're wrong, but they think that. Um, so then I went to the old, I actually went to the old um, dungeon, but the first edition dungeon master, this guy has a little chart called the reputed magical properties of gemstones. Hmm. I looked at that and then I went online and I would look up like, like hematite. Yeah. And, and what people said, which isn't a gemstone, it's a mineral, but still. Yeah. And what people thought hematite had for powers yeah. throughout history, throughout, you know, because it's been around forever with, with people. And that's how I that's how I kind of delineated which de gemstones did what. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's no, fun. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I love gemstones. I love the history uh, about them. So that was when that came showed up as how the magic system was in this uh, this world. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I, yeah. I wish my rubies would shoot out fireballs. But hey, wh whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it's, in Demon Wars, they don't throw fireballs. They kind of do it around you. Yeah. So yeah. That might be a bad thing. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I forgot about that part. Um but have serpentine, or you're gonna fry yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gotta have the serpentine. But no, it was really cool, and and I liked how you know the dwarves were just were a lot different. You know, they're seamen out on the in the barrel boats, and they, you know, they dip their caps in the in the blood of their victims, and uh, you know, and even the elves were different. Very different. Um. Yeah, I, I just I went to old folklore. Um, the, the bloody capped dwarves, the red capped dwarves, it's an old folklore that after the battles in front of the castle, they would come out and dip their, they would run out from under their little shelter under the castles and mm. dip their berets in the, or their caps, they weren't berets, in, in the blood of the people who had died on the field in front of the castle. Um, and I used, for the elves, I used the old Tuatha de Danan and, and um, the Tool Alfar and Doc Alfar legends as kind of the basis for it i do that all the time i mean whenever i'm whenever i'm creating a culture a society a, a different species on the planet uh, on the world i'm building i generally go and look at history and say what characteristics would fit uh for this culture because yeah. history rhymes and and you can't have if something is so foreign that doesn't make sense to the reader, you're asking too much of them. Yeah. They can't suspend their disbelief too far. Right. I mean, you're already asking them to believe in dragons and magical gemstones and lightning bolts and fireballs and resurrection even. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to get them to accept all of that and then give them a world that doesn't make any familial sense to them. Mm -hmm. Like when I did Men's of Baron Zahn, right? I based it on the Godfather. We talked about that last yeah. time. Yeah, no, um, no, I, I like that. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, some of the movies that I have not enjoyed, or the books I haven't enjoyed, it's there wasn't enough reality to ground me, and it was just too far of a stretch, and you yeah. just kind of fall out of the story. And for everybody, it's a different level, right? It's a different yeah. place. Just like for every reader, there's a different level of how much description they want with any character or monster or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it depends on where you are in the fantasy world. Like, 
when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, he had to pretty much describe what a dragon was. Yeah. Because his readers didn't know what to make of a dragon. It's like when uh, Melville wrote Moby Dick. I mean, half half of that book is just describing the whale and how to cut yeah. it up. And that's because he knew his readers couldn't go look at a picture of a whale or couldn't go on a sightseeing tour to see a whale. Yeah. So when you have, like now, if I say dragon to anyone who's involved in fantasy, they, they now have a picture in their head. I Now my game, my job is to play on that picture. Yeah. With emotions more than physical descriptions usually. And, um, but everybody has different, you learn that very quickly that, you know, everybody, some people want to read like Robert Jordan's books, which are like this big. Yeah. Right. And they'll tend to take 20 pages and describe a tree. And I'm not dissing it for that because it's, some people absolutely love that. And he's, he's so wonderful with words. Um, but other people want action. They want it to move along. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more like that. Yeah. No, I, I like the action. I like the action, the moving along. I, I, I don't mind description too much. I mean, that is one thing that with Tolkien has always kind of drove me nuts is there's all this description and then, you know, very little at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the old style writing, right? That's yeah. Remember, but, remember that Tolkien was writing to an audience that didn't have television. Yeah, and not really didn't really go to a lot. Of, I mean, movies were pretty big, but they weren't very fantastical. Mm-hmm. That's why King Kong was such a hit because it was so. Oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Um, so. I was over in England a few years, well, many years ago now, with a guy named Tom DeHaven, uh, another writer. He had written a book called Walker Up Worlds, and we were being interviewed by BBC, and they said, why are your books more popular than Tolkien's to us? And at the time, they were. This was before the Jackson movies came out. And, you know, Tom, I'll never forget it. He said, because we grew up with TV, and so we're not afraid to change point of view. And so when we, we don't belabor the point. We get going. We get people moving. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, right, you know, no. the writer you figure, a writer you write the way you think you would want to read it, and hope enough people like it to pay you for the next book. Yeah, that's all you can do. Well, and with the way things are now, with fast-paced TV shows, movies, you get every you know Netflix and Amazon Prime. You get everything at the click of a button now. You don't have to go search it out. Yep. You know, we talked about it on the show a couple of days ago. You know, back when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to be there to watch the show. If you didn't, you missed it. And if you didn't record it back then with the VCR, you just had to wait till it was on reruns. And it was everybody watching the show. Yeah. It was the coffee. It was the, um, you know, the the coffee table talk at work. Right. Yeah. Because I, I saw this. Remember when Oprah Winfrey was like the biggest thing on television? Yep. I saw something once that. In her biggest shows, she didn't beat out what Gilligan's Island got every week. Wow. For ratings. And there were many, many more people and many, many more TVs now. Yeah. But everybody watched, you know, you had a choice. You could watch, and I don't know if I'm getting this right. They might even have been on the same network, but you had ABC, CBS, and NBC. Yeah. Then you had a couple of UHF channels, maybe, and then PBS. And that was it. Yep. So when I, you know, I was a kid in the 60s. So you might have the Beverly Hillbillies on one channel, Gilligan's Island on another, and the Monkeys on another, mm-hmm. or something. And so you, 
you would pick, and that that was it. You couldn't watch the other one. Yep. No, all great shows too. I remember all of those, uh, especially the monkeys. That was my favorite. The monkeys in Gilligan's Island. <laughs> monkeys but was so ridiculous. <laughs> it, it was. That's what it was. That was so amazing about it. Um, but uh, you know, so with that kind of instant gratification. I mean, with your novels, uh, you know, they're fast paced. They're moving along. You don't get bogged down. Uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a slower paced book, obviously, but. Uh, I think a lot of people enjoy that fast pace where it just keeps tr- pulling them further into the pages. Uh, I think it. Re- I think it also um, translates very well to audio. Yes, because I mean, you better have a really good reader if you're going to go into a belabored description of something. Yeah, and Victor does it a, a fantastic job. He's amazing. I love Victor. He called me. Um, he called me about three weeks ago. When I get this, actually, I got a text from him, and he's like, "Hey, are you available to talk right now?" It was really late. I'm like, "Sure, I'm up." <laughs> so I, I called him, and he's like, um, "He was, he was, he had just started doing Relentless, mm-hmm. the new book, and he was like, where did you get this? I need to know where you got this.' And I'm not going to go into because it it's a private conversation, but I, he was so excited about the beginning of the book, and nice. it just made me really good because he was, he, he really opened up. I love Victor. He's he's a good writer too. His book's pretty damn good too. Nice. Yeah, but he's 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 his business card says the voice of Dritz than he is. Oh wow! And there's no doubt. Yeah, that that's cool to be able to say that voice of Dritz. So now, I mean, I guess that kind of answered a question I always had is, does you know does he talk to you a lot? Because I've noticed he 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 gets the pronunciations of the characters. Right, quite often. So I'm guessing there are phone calls like, "How do you how do you say this properly?" Or, Not a lot. I mean, that oh. was the first time I had talked to Victor in a couple of years. Oh no, I talked to him. I talked to him after uh, Reckoning of Fallen of the Fallen Gods because uh, the new language came into it, and he wanted to make sure that he had the pronunciations right for the new language. Oh, okay. So I've I've talked to him a few times, but it's usually a couple times a year. Okay. Um, and that's some. I, I did a panel with him in New York a few years ago. That was a lot of fun. Um, but these, you know, the readers love him. I mean, yeah. I don't hear any complaints about Victor. Yeah, I know. And I don't hear. I don't hear any complaints about uh, Tim Gerard Reynolds. And it wasn't Reckoning of Fallen Gods. It was um, the book that Victor called me about. I talked to Tim about that series because Tim's doing that series. Tim did all the Demon Wars books. Yeah, most yeah. Of them. He did the Highwayman, the other seven from Demon Awakens to Immortalis and the Coven trilogy. He didn't do the uh, three books of the saga of the first king because they were done by Macmillan Audio many years ago. But, um, yeah, I, I've been lucky. Both the readers were perfect for the series. And it, that's important. And, and this the thing that's happened now is that the companies know it, like Audible. They know yeah. it. They begin to understand who they can put with, with what writer with what narrator, to bring people to both of them, and it's um, it's it's very interesting. It's almost like used to the relationship you used to have with cover artists. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, no, I, I I have all the books, the, you know, all the Dritz books, and I've gone back and I've bought all the uh, the audio books just because Victor just brings a new life to him, and it's amazing. And it's yeah. easier to reread the books while I'm driving 
because it's kind of not feasible yeah. to drive yeah, and that. book, but just listening to him narrate the story is just fantastic. Oh, we have a big storm about to start, so if I lose you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, let's jump into you know, the, the Relentless, uh, since we started kind of talking about it. Um, you know, we've seen some shakeup happening. Uh, Willis, I, does this final book kind of shake up the status quo in the realms? Uh, because we've <laughs> yeah. kind of seen some stuff start. You know, it's really funny to me because because the two people who have read the ARC to me, uh, back, you know, have read the and got back to me about it. They've said the same thing. They've said this book is perfect for this time. Yeah, and I'm like, I just want you to know that this was plotted out four years ago, <laughs> and I've been working toward this since the companions, at least. Yeah, at least. But yeah, being able to go back in time with Zach Nefane and Jarl Axel in this series pretty much made it imper- imperative to me to be able to show. To settle that whole nature versus nurture, yeah, with the with the drought, um, and the answer to me from the beginning has always been the same: it's loath. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, she got them. She got them in this place where they can't escape, and she kill. She brings the power to the people who have unquestionable power. Yeah, and everybody else has two choices, three choices. You can go against them and be turned into a drider or killed if you're lucky. Or you can go along with it, or you can try to escape in the Underdark, and that's what made Dritz kind of unique, because as far as anyone knows, he's the only one who made it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but I've been going this way for a long time, and this is a big payoff for me. I think Relentless might be the defining book of the Dritz series, given everything that's going on in the world. I'm very okay with that. Yeah. No, I mean, as I've read these last couple ones, I've I've kind of gone back, I'm like, what? you have kind of been leading cookie crumbs up to this point, you know, with Jarlaxle and Bregan Is Jarlaxle evil? No. No. No no. more than anyone else. No. Was, was, um, Zach Nefane evil? Absolutely not. No. Was Vierna evil? No. No. Um, No. And what you have is, you you know, to me it's always about perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up, you know, and going to catechism for Catholic Church. And we used to sing um, the song about Joshua when I was a kid, little kid. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? Everybody's heard it. When I was actually old enough to read the story of Joshua and hear what happened at Jericho, it horrified me. Because if you read the story of Joshua, his army came up on the, on the city and they, they breached the walls and then they went into the city and they killed every man, every woman, every child, and every animal in the city. And, you know, I'm thinking to the rape of Nanking in World War II. I'm thinking, you know, people have this amazing ability to ignore how other people will see their actions. Yeah, but judge everybody else not on the motivations of why they're doing something, but on the impact it has on them. Yeah. So you know, people are outraged at Pearl Harbor, and you know, they they really was an outrage. But they they don't they just blink 
about Dresden and Hiroshima yeah, and Nagasaki. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at when you look at what the Drow did in the earliest book when they came to the surface and killed the elves, it's kind of what Joshua did. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's kind of what happened in the '80s in a couple of villages in in the Middle East, uh, Sabra and Shatila, where the militia went in and did that under the eye of people that we consider allies. And that has always bothered me. That is always is always like I go watch the Patriot, the Mel Gibson, Don, the Red Don, and people are cheering the people who are doing the same things that we utterly condemn people for doing against us yeah and it, it's just it's just a peculiarity about human nature that always kind of intrigued me that if if now i don't know what really happened at jericho um but i know what the bible says happened at jericho and if the bible says that happened at jericho how am i supposed to consider this guy a hero he slaughtered little kids yeah. So it's it's you, you kind of upset your world when you start thinking of things like that. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it's it's hard to reconcile, when, especially when children are killed. It's like they're innocent, you know. I remember I was watching a Richard Dawkins talk twenty years ago, and he he brought up the whole thing with Jericho, and I was like, oh my god, it's not just me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because I mean, you're right. Kids are just pretty much putty, you know. They're hey, a blank I slate. Up, I grew up being told that George Washington never told a lie and had wooden teeth. Yeah. Now I find out his wooden teeth were probably, uh, I forget what material it was. One of his denture sets was of a material that when it gets old and stained, it looks like wood. Oh, okay. But he didn't have wooden teeth. And one of his dentures were the teeth that was part, partly constructed of the teeth pulled from the mouths of slaves. Yeah. It's hard to take. Yeah. You know? And I, and I guess the good thing is that don't deify human beings. Mm-hmm. Because that they weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Madison and Jefferson weren't perfect. Hamilton wasn't perfect. I don't know if you saw Hamilton recently, but if you haven't, go stream it. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Aaron Burr wasn't perfect. They weren't perfect people. And they did a lot of things that were tough um, by our standards. But even by the day's standards, a lot of them weren't very good mm-hmm. uh, morally. Yeah. No, it's surprising. Uh, I'm going back to school as well, and so sitting through a history class, you know, uh, you know, your eyes are kind of open to those early forefathers. Where you know, I learned that Washington did have slaves. You know, a lot of those they did have slaves back then. That was commonplace for nobility and people of power. Um, you know, because that's what they did over in England, and they just sent them here. And the they had Irish slaves and African American slaves, stuff like that. And it's just like. For them, that was normal, not really cool, not acceptable in today's standards in any way, shape, or form. Um, but even by the standards of the day, though, a lot of, I mean, there, from the very beginning of the country, there are a lot of people that didn't like that. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the people who's John Adams, Sam Adams. Yep. They, they were, Washington thought of the great evil. He just didn't know how to do anything about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I can't give it. They they just thought it was normal. Uh, but that's that. They have a hard time. You, you're kind of over a line for some of them. That doesn't mean I okay. think they they shouldn't be hailed as, you know, the founders of a gigantic liberal democracy that changed the way the world was run essentially. Mm-hmm. And they they bad people or people people aren't bad and they aren't good. They're kind of in between. And you can celebrate the good things they did as long as the good things they did overweight or, you know, yeah, way more than the bad things they did, I guess. And I, you okay. can make that distinction for any person, right? Yes. So, I don't know. I'm just trying to muddle through like everybody else and figure out where those lines are for me. Yeah. I mean, I got asked to march in the Columbus Day Parade a few years ago. I'm Italian. Or part of Italian, and uh, I wouldn't do it because I know what Columbus did. I yeah. know some of the stuff he did, and even for his day, no, I'm not going to march to celebrate. I'm just not going to do it. Now you want to go ahead? I don't live and let live, right? But yeah, nope. So where I mean, where are we going to find Dritz, Zachnafane, and Jarlaxle at the end of this this last book? Uh, I'm not going to tell you that. Okay, <laughs> All right. that's fine. Uh, I figured I would ask it. I was pretty sure you, you were find, The ones you do find will be looking at a world of possibility and or disaster. Okay. Very nice. You know, well, you probably won't answer this one either. But, you know, you know I, I know Dritz and Zach Nefain are trying to find a happy medium in their relationship. It's kind of been redefined because we find out Zach Nefane wasn't quite the idolized father that Dritz had. Um, and he's like, really like, Oh my gosh, my son is with this human woman. What the heck are we going to find? Are they going to find a common middle ground finally? Cause I mean, these are two great characters and I, and I like the strife there. I do because well, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I always get a kick out of when people go after like 70 or 80 year old people mm-hmm. and they pull up something that somebody said in 1974 mm-hmm. and say, see, he's a horrible person or she's a horrible person or whatever without having any idea of what the world was in 1974. Yeah. Without the context. So if you took someone, if you took someone who now, even someone who now you look at and go, that's a good, that is a wonderful person. He's doing so much good in the world. But if you took that person from 1972 or something and you lifted that person up and dropped them into our world now. And this we're only talking 50 years, not hundreds of years. But if you took that person, you dropped them into our world now. All you have to do is go back and look at the shows from the 90s, the early 2000s, the 80s, the 70s, the 60s. To see that their attitudes would be really off the charts now. Oh, yeah. You know? And I say, I mean, we're we're looking at such, the changes are coming so fast right now around us that it's made a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it never used to happen this quickly. Because you didn't have social media and instant communication with thousands and thousands of people. But it's happening pretty fast, and it, it, there's a. Um, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people to 
And little things about these movements can can really jar a person. And so then you have to look at what what's the point? Why are they doing this? And try to see it from their perspective. And then again, make your own lines. Because that's what we do. Nice. So make your own lines. That's the key thing to take. My older sisters told me what they went through at work mm-hmm. for harassment. And so we're talking the 70s, the 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Five older sisters. And what they went through horrified me. I had no idea until wow. probably the 90s when they finally told me some of the stories from work. They were, it was brutal. I mean, it was just brutal. And they had no recourse. Yeah. Now, thankfully, they do. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what it would be like working in that environment back then, and you know, and I mean, thankfully laws have changed and improved, and uh, you know, we kind of do see that uh, in, in these these three books, where you, like you said, you took someone from the past, dropped them in, and you know, how do they relate to current times? Uh, Zach and Fan began as Archie Bunker in 1970, and he end, ended as Archie Bunker. After the last book, I think, he ended as Archie Bunker at the end of the series. And you saw a mellowing of yeah. the Carol O'Connor character as he began to accept that the world really is changing. Yeah. And um, but, but I just I just wrote them the way I think, you know, my dad was my dad was this incredibly for his day, incredibly forward thinking, tolerant, not a misogynist, but a sexist. Uh, I, I, I want to call him a a benign racist, if there's a, such a thing, because yeah. he had nothing against anybody. Um, but that doesn't mean that growing up in our little Italian neighborhood, he didn't have, you know, he wasn't surrounded by opinions of people. Yeah. For no reason, no reason of the, any of the individual people, if you will. And I think my dad would adapt quickly to the new world and he'd be happier when he did but it would be a real you know he died in 84 it would be a real challenge for him to come into our world and fit in yeah he would be making jokes that just not acceptable or he would be referring to people in ways that just not acceptable not the worst ways that you hear but still yeah well it, it kind of goes back to there's part of that nurture uh you know it's just of course it is the the message that he continues to soak up as you grow up and you hear every day and uh, you know when you drop it out it, it wouldn't be acceptable. I look at it this way: Mary Kirchhoff, actually, who's a life coach now and runs a nonprofit, was the person who pulled me out of the slush pile back in 1987. And Mary said to me that you make your program your your operating system is made in the first three or four years of your life, mm-hmm. and thereafter, you know, do you have version one one? 1.2, 1. 1.25, 1. 1.4. Are you able to keep improving on the operating system or not? And that'll probably determine where you are as you get older. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I still held the attitudes, I have a lot of friends who still hold the attitudes we held when we were kids, and they just come across to me as bitter old men mm. now. Yeah. Because they just refuse to see anything different than they were taught when they were five. Yeah. And, um, no amount of evidence will change their minds. Yeah, but I don't think that was 
who Zach was ever. No, I, I like that that version of the operating system. You know, keep getting your upgrades. Uh, you know, and we definitely have seen that with characters. You know, you've seen it with Dritz quite often. It seems like he's very adaptable. He's constantly upgrading. Um, we see that start happening with Zach Nefane. We definitely saw it with Jarlaxel. I think he uh, is king at adapting and upgrading. Based oh, on he's gone a long way. <laughs> um, Start with Artemis and Trary. Oh, and, and Artemis too. Which, Artemis. I mean, he got he got away from when he could finally look himself in the mirror and not hate what he saw. He became a different person. Yeah. No, that was yeah, mad though. But yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite characters that I saw. You know, I was excited to see a change in him because it, he was just kind of this old bitter assassin that just hated Dritz, and then. When you start to see more human elements come into his character, wow, yeah. that character really blossomed. The Cell Swords books are one of my favorite series. Yeah. Because I really got to watch him and Gerald Axel grow up together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Servant, no, Servant what, what of was, the Shard. Yeah, Servant of the Shard. Was Both of the Patriarch. Yeah. And holy cow. Uh, Promise King? of the Witch King was the middle oh, book. Yeah. Poor middle book. I can never remember the names of middle books. <laughs> nah, uh, Servant of the Shard. That man, that's one of my favorite ones with those two. I think Roll of the Patriarch is my favorite. Mm. So that 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 is a great series. So, so we're tying it all up. Maybe you'll write more. Maybe you won't. Uh, w- you know, you, the next step is to enjoy some time with the grandkids and your family and just enjoy life from here on out so yeah, i didn't retire i didn't say i retired I, well no no you didn't say that but it's kind of hard to make plans right now <laughs> yeah. no it is it is especially where you can't really go anywhere but when we came back to massachusetts because i have a bigger house i have a gym i have a pool i have a batting cage oh nice so i get to go out and play where in California, the house was built to go to the beach, which we couldn't do. Yeah. So it was much smaller inside. And I was pretty much wearing a track around my big great room. In the house. <laughs> As so you're wandering around. The phone to my sister or whatever, just to try and get my steps in, you know? Yeah. Um, but so that's why we came home, because I needed the... This house has the amenities. It has my library. It has my desktop. It has... You know, all of the better equipment that I have. Nice. So, with things slowing down, you know, maybe. what are, maybe, what are things that you find that you enjoy when you're not? I know you've mentioned going to hockey games. You know, I know you've played softball in in the past. Uh, what are the things you do when you're not writing? What are things to kind of break away from that? Well, I can't play softball this year. My team, I put the email out, and I said I wasn't going to play. And the first nine emails back said I ain't playing. <laughs> I, the league actually just started Monday, I think, last Monday. Oh, wow. um, one guy on my team is playing on a different team that I know of. He just came and picked up a bat for me, actually. And um, so I'm not doing that. I, love, I still love playing softball, and we're planning to be back in next year if we got a vaccine or this thing's under control in any way, shape, or form. I don't know. I thought it would be pretty much under control now, and it's not. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I'll be back at softball next year. When I'm in California, 
it's I love going down to the beach. I just love taking those walks down the beach. And we had started doing hikes because there's it's amazing. You're in the middle of this gigantic basin of full of cities, and it's got some of the best hiking I've ever seen. Yeah. So we go like to the Culver Steps in Culver City, and you go up to the top of the Baldwin Overlook, and you can see the entire LA basin. We do things like that. My wife and I keep busy hiking, and um, I play softball. We weightlift. Um, I got the batting cage set up. I go out and play that. We spend a lot of time in the pool with the grandkids now, which is a lot of fun, but also exhausting because they want to be thrown up in the air and they're not little anymore and it hurts. Um, (laughs) And I play, you know, I play my weekly game with my friends. And I think the thing that kept me sane for the first few months was World of Warcraft Classic came out, came back out. And so I put four characters up to level 60 on Classic uh with with some of my friends and my wife she plays too and now they've all switched over to the live game and i'm still a bigger fan of classic but i'm over at the live game but i just don't play that much right now yeah but uh that's it and i'm doing some more reading i'm 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 trying to get more reading in uh i was going to the really good clip for a while that i don't read quickly at all i can typically a book will take me about a month um, another reason why I like fast-paced books because I just lose my place in them. I, yeah. I don't know if it's um, – I've gotten a lot of letters from people who said I'm dyslexic and your books – I could read your books. And I almost wonder sometimes if I don't have a bit of dyslexia because sometimes the words will swim on the page and I'll forget where I am. And I'm, I'm so much – I'm so anal about it that I have to go back and reread the whole paragraph. Yeah. So you know, I'll be reading for three hours and I'll look and I've done ten pages or some ridiculous thing. Um, but I find I'm finding books that I'm getting through more and enjoying it. Nice. Yeah, my my daughter has dyslexia, and that's what happens with her. The words swim on the page. So maybe maybe you do have a little bit. Uh, a lot of people do, and but you can find books that work for you. I guess. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, yes, I'm excited for these final books. Um, you know it's get to wrap up these great series and we'll see if more comes out, which I hope because I'll have to get another bookshelf. Uh, I, I, yeah, I have every book. I've loved every one of them. They're fantastic. So those that haven't read them, pick them up because you should. Um, And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where Dritz and Zach Nefane and Jarlaxle fall on this uh, final book with relentless and, uh, where everything ends up with the song, yeah, song of the risen God. So it's yeah. gonna be interesting. I'm very pleased with the way both of these series ended. Very pleased, very satisfied. I get this ah uh, feeling with both of them. That's got to be a great feeling to have that. It is. Uh, yeah, because sometimes I'm sure when you get to the end, you're like, ah, oh, it, it's good, but not quite. But this seems like it's. I, I've hit it. No, I didn't have that feeling at all. For me, it was like, this is the way they were supposed to end. This was the way to tie things up properly. This says what I wanted to say. Nice. And it made me feel very good about both series. Very nice. Okay. Well, you know, I appreciate your time today. It's always been great talking to you. And um, How many times have we done this now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Quite a bit. 15, 20? 15 or tw- somewhere between 15 and 20, I'm sure. That'd be my yeah. guess. Yeah. It's been great. Uh, you know, I, I remember long, long ago, 
first reading your books and I was like, wow, it would be awesome to meet you. And I met you at a media play book signing and, you know, my friends freaked out uh, because, you know, I never break the spines on my paperback and they're just like, they're watching you just bend it and then sign and they're like, where was that media play? Uh, It was in Midville. Midville, Utah, or Fort yes. Union. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and I think the the lady in charge. I'm trying to think it was in Salt Lake City because I remember it was out there. But. Yeah, yeah, and so, and then yeah, the podcast started and ran into you at Gen Con, and yeah, it's yep. been going on since then. So. Yep, I was supposed to be the guest of honor at Gen Con. This year. Oh, I know. I, I had tickets and everything. I was going to go, and my heart was broken. I got canceled. Yep. So. It's um, next year. I'll be the guest yeah. of honor next year if, uh, if if it's safe. Yeah. Hopefully be it is because I would love to be back. It's it's always fun going to Gen Con. Um, so, and San Diego Comic Con and all the other cons. Yeah. yeah. I miss them. But. Well, San Diego, my San Diego Comic Con. Last time I was there, they gave me a um, lifetime achievement award. That's, oh wow! Of nice. all the awards or whatever, I think that one might be the right at the top of the heap because I've been going to San Diego Comic Con when it was a small convention. Yeah, not anymore. It's no, not small it's anymore. Yeah, it's massive. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing everything you've accomplished. Uh, you know, the books have definitely evolved. They've grown. And, you know, uh, I, I've written a few books. They're out there now. But to have a, a mass library of books like you do, I mean, I can see all of them behind you and in my own closet over That's here. That's my reference sure. library. I still break the books open instead of digging around on my yeah. files a lot of times. Nice. Nice. So do you have notes in them or is it just you? No. Just... Okay. Well, maybe a couple of them do. Okay. Maybe a couple of them do. Nice. So, yeah. And then, I mean, you're still gaming. That's that's even more amazing that you're still gaming once a week. Yeah, I heard my cleric made second level last night playing a Dwarven cleric. Oh. and Grimforge. Nice. Cleric of the Light, who's the son of two characters who, well, one character who showed up in this, in the uh, Homecoming series. And the sister of Brunner's Queens. So he's oh. kind of off to the side of the throne. Nice. And he's an archaeologist who <laughs> he's an archaeologist who follows Dumathoin and thinks it's his jo- job to find all those secrets under the mountain. Oh, nice. So my group will move very slowly because I'll light up every room, ritually <laughs> cast the tech magic in every room, search for any secret doors. Yeah, no, we had, a, we had a great we had a great um, a great game last night actually. That's got to be really fun to be able to play characters that are attached to characters you've written and you have. I don't inter- usually do that. I did it last night. This is no character I ever. I mean, I made my own character, but I said, you know, they ask you on D and D Beyond to give them a background. Yeah, so I'm gonna give them a background, and then I started thinking, wait a minute, suppose I do this. Because there was a character I really loved that didn't get his due in the books. And um, so I pulled him up and I said, I can do this. I can do this. And I, I started weaving things together. It was almost like a writing session when yeah. I was just doing my character. See, I'm not writing all the time now. So I get more creativity for other things like gaming, I guess. Yeah. 
No, that's ex- that's fun. Uh, I haven't gamed in a couple years, so I, I miss it. But well, I can tell you that D and D Beyond and Roll Twenty right now go together so smoothly. It's fat. It says fast online. If you have a, if you find someone who can DM and knows how to load his his uh, screens up there and do his fog of war and everything correctly, um, it's as fast as playing around the table. Nice. Yeah, I have D&D a couple. Beyond, you just go like. You want to make a you want to make a strength save. You just go up the strength, and the little button appears, and you click you click the button, and it rolls it on the roll twenty. It's incredible. Wow, uh, it's some of the best integrated software I think I've ever witnessed. And it just makes playing the game so easy. It'll tell you all your spells. It'll tell you how many you used. Um, it'll tell you, you know, it keeps track of everything for you. Okay. You, so you, there are two screens. I got my character on one screen, and I got the dungeon on the other screen. And if I got a third screen, I would have the group up on Discord or whatever we're using on the third screen. And and I can't recommend it enough. It's it's a lot of fun. Okay. Well, I think I'm sold. I think I'm gonna have to do that. Get a group together. That'd be fun. A lot of people playing. Especially you know, with the way things are, they don't want social distancing and everything. That's why we really haven't played either. But that sounds like that solves that problem easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm itching to get my group back in here, order some pizza or whatever. Get my group yeah. back in my office because we play here, right where I'm sitting. Oh, still older that way. Sweet. Um, you know, we have all the ma- the uh, master maze pieces and. Uh, I would love to see the guys again, but we can't right now. Yeah. Not, maybe maybe in the fall. I'm in Massachusetts, and we're doing pretty well right now. Nice. So maybe in the fall. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks for the tip on that. That'll be fantastic. Anyone else that's wanting to play, hey, that's some great advice. And uh, pick up Relentless and uh, Song of the Risen God or the other books. And if you want village. either one signed, go to rasalvastore.com, my wife's that's store. That's right. I was going to bring that up. Great business right now. Yeah, and you, uh, you, you. Uh, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied because I remember you. I you also pers- personalize that. Yeah, yeah, someone says, you know, Fred, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And sure. So no, I think that's fantastic, and it's always I'm doing it for twenty point. years, and I actually own the copyright on e-signing. Nice. Okay, yeah. well, folks, uh, grab a book that way, and uh, we'll. Talk to you next time. Okay. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Remember, the force will be with you always.